0: Hey there, freedom fighters! My name is Andrew Warner. I'm the founder of Mixergy, where I interview entrepreneurs about how they built their businesses for an audience of entrepreneurs. I didn't even realize that I knew today's guest's business, because I, I had no idea he was one of the co-founders. He is the guy behind Creative Live, which for me, I should introduce him. He's Craig Swanson. For me, your business in many ways was ah, uh, oh, they're doing it better than I. I'm doing it and that's the model I should have done or was doing and wasn't doing as well. Here's the thing. I started Mixergy not because I want to do interviews. I started Mixergy because I want to do online education. I felt that only entrepreneurs could teach entrepreneurs. Meanwhile, there are all these knuckleheads who knew how to write great books who are getting a ton of attention for teaching entrepreneurs how to build businesses when they've never freaking done one. And I said, okay, if I could work with these entrepreneurs, I could have them teach a thing that they're especially good at. I started out with interviews, and my model was to move towards that, and I eventually did. I added master classes, which we made into a a premium product. Then I watched from the sidelines, I guess maybe not from the sidelines, I watched from my peripheral vision, this company called Creative Live Launch and Build Up. And what Creative Live did was they said, we're not focusing on entrepreneurs, we're working with creatives. These are people who are good at using Photoshop, good at taking photos. And kind of the model that I was going after for recruiting, they were offering their programs for free, right? If you watched it live, which meant that there was a big incentive for people to register to watch live. And then If you didn't watch it live or if you wanted a recording of it, either way, you got to pay to get the recording and the instructor got a percentage and the program Creative Live kept the rest. That's the model. Craig is nodding. Craig, I had no freaking idea you were there because Chase is such a, he's like a one name uh, personality in this space. He is the guy who created the phrase, the best camera is the one in your pocket or the one that's closest. How did he phrase it? Uh, The best camera is the one you have with you. Right, exactly. It's been so popular that it's been butchered and I've heard it a million different ways and credited to different people or to like the universal they did this, they said this. Anyway, I had no idea you're the guy behind the guy. I checked you out on the site. You're there. And for some reason, I never knew that it was there. Meanwhile, though, the business blew up in a good way. Then I thought it blew up in a bad way and disappeared. And today I find out that it was acquired by Fiverr. I invited Craig on here not knowing all this, but now that I do, I wanna know what happened there. And I wanna know how he's helping online personalities build their businesses. And frankly, from a personal point of view, I wanna understand what I could be doing better. How big did Creative Live get?
1: Um, so creative live. Well, I guess that actually is an interesting number you're asking about. Like, are you asking about how many, how, how big was the audience? How
0: big was the employee? So at its height, what was the revenue? Let's talk dollar. I'd rather talk profits, but once you took uh, funding, I felt like profits become less significant. So let's yeah. talk revenue. I
1: know really intimately the revenue. Um, while I was running content and basically responsible for it. So we were doing about $14 million a year, um, about midway, about, uh, about, 2014, 2015. After funding, um, later on down the road, um, those after we had opened up the San Francisco office. So my monthly my monthly target was a million dollars in revenue a month.
0: And you were hitting it. The San Francisco office, I I'd, I'd heard a lot about it. I think I was even in that space. It was also it was a place to work and also a place to bring in authors and other creatives to have them teach live. The thing that you did beautifully was you elevated the platform, you made it look good so people were proud to be on it. Whose uh, part was that, you or Chase?
1: I I definitely think that is probably both of us. Um, So first of all, making the platform look good, elevating the platform, that is Chase. Chase drove the aesthetics, drove, drove the quality of the photography. Um, I was very much focused on the audience engagement and creating the space that instructors could feel seen and could see both the people in front of them and also the virtual audience that was watching. So, I mean, if I were going to, I would, I would give equal credit on both sides to that. I was building kind of the systems that allowed everything to connect. And Chase was really focused on the aesthetic, the, the, the feel of it, um, and and creating that, that really warm opening space that had like a beautiful kitchen, beautiful area that basically people wanted to come and hang out in. Chase is cool. I'm not cool.
0: The thing is that you also would have like these robotic cameras. You had a live audience. That whole thing. That was you figuring out how to make it. No, that's Chase, right?
1: So... Again, it is a mix, but I would say the live audience is really kind of the core of what I was driving from the beginning. So the 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 idea of Creative Live was incubated in my IT company that I was running in Seattle at the time. Chase was a client. I I I basically was an IT company for about twenty years, supporting local ad agencies, design firms, and creative studios. So my entire career has been being the support structure for creatives, and um, I was developing inside of that. A online education platform, but I was really unhappy with the way instructors and I felt when we were teaching on that platform because we were talking to a microphone, we were all alone, we were not giving a very good performance and I started to create this mix where we had a live audience that was in person, okay. just like you have the, t- the Tonight Show or any other TV sh- you know, live record TV show mm-hmm. and we were broadcasting simultaneously and that whole energy was what I was really focused on.
0: Let's go back to the beginning. When you were doing this, yeah, as an agency, what were you doing for your clients?
1: Um, I T. So if um, uh-huh. so, for example, uh, creative agencies, design firms—they have different needs than a lot of companies. They have mm-hmm. a, they have really big servers. They have a lot of different needs, but they are often Mac based. They have a lot of file message uh, file asset management. So we were specialists in that. Um, Costco's in-house creative department pretty much any fortune 500 in the seattle area that had an in-house creative department was a client of ours um, We worked with most ad agencies in the area.
0: And so then how do you make the transition from that to saying? I want to have online video
1: Well for me the whole reason I worked with creatives is because I wanted to be in film when I started I, I'm a very technical guy. I'm really in, I'm really attracted to technology um, and uh, effectively, that's the way I, I, I met that need. Is I pursued technology, but I surround myself and I only supported artists and I supported commercial artists, so photographers, creatives, okay. and that's all I worked with.
0: Okay, I see. And so you said I'm going to help you do online video better, or was it? Well, take me to the transition that became Creative Live, the online education platform.
1: So really that was more of a hobby of mine. I had always been playing with online education. So I'd always been playing with education. I, I love teaching. I love being around teaching. And so um, when my company got to the place that I had the freedom because the employees were largely running it and I had I had the okay. freedom, I invested in my own little uh, training company. I hired a full-time trainer who was excellent, Jason Hoppy, um, And we spent about two years basically playing with different ways of trying ways of, of creating education. We were trying to like do 15 minute increments, we were playing with things, we were doing it online and all these things were different experiments we were running and we kind of narrowed in on this idea of simulcasting a broadcast to the world while teaching it to a local audience. And at the time, I think we were using Zoom then, but but Zoom
0: was not what Zoom is today. Um, um, But you were using webinar software, meeting software to broadcast live to people. Were you charging for that or Mm -hmm. was that free from the beginning?
1: from the very beginning. Well, I guess I I should actually back out a little bit. It makes it sound a little bit more organized and planned than it was. I loved the training company, but the training company was not making any money. Um, And it was around 2008, 2009 when the economy tanked. And we reached a place where my IT company could not uh, support a do-nothing executive that also had, like, this $100,000 a year training hobby. And... I was doing all my Excel spreadsheets. I was trying to figure out like what I'm going to do because I didn't want to give it up. It was what I loved, but it was not making money. And I remember one weekend just like pouring over the numbers, like figuring out like what I, what I could do with ads, how I could like try to like make this all work. And every time I came out, basically we were netting zero at the end and I just said, screw it. Let's just give it away for free. At least, you know, like I, I figured we're just gonna do one last blowout, do a free course, get as many people as we can to show up and, um, and then shut it down. I, I basically, I wanted to go out with a bang. Um, and we did a free 10 week Photoshop course. We, I had a 30,000 person email list at the time. And then at the time, Chase was, did Chase, I don't know if Chase blasted out to his audience. I don't, I don't think he blasted out to his audience at that point. Um, but we got enough uptick and takeout for this that we, first of all, found out that Zoom only supports a thousand people at a time. I had thought that was just a marketing number. I thought that the 1,000-person limit was just a a number that marketing put on to make it look real. But no, it actually blocked out. And so, we we maxed out our Zoom feed. Uh, we were doing it free. We let people buy a copy of the class after the fact, which is basically the business model that Creative Live like like iterated on. And in that 10-week course, we made thirty-five thousand dollars, compared to probably a third of that in the entire previous year of this kind of hobby training business.
0: Wow. Wow. And this was this still was in just 2009. you doing it as a side project to creative techs, your it business. Yes, exactly. It did have, exactly. a, did it did have a name at the time. It was creative Text. It was just creative Text training. Okay. I see it. By the way, um, you were so was, freaking understated. Completely. I'm sorry to interrupt, but you're so freaking yeah. understated. Yeah. Even on your LinkedIn bio, where you talk about creative text, you don't give yourself a title. It's just small business owner. <laughs> um, you know what? I could work on that. Although
1: I was a small business owner, See, the thing is, I didn't I didn't call myself an entrepreneur until Creative Life, because I my I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. But for me, an entrepreneur was someone who created, grew, and then sold businesses. I mean, I, I, for someone who just runs one business for twenty five years for me is a small business owner.
0: Got it. And that's what you did. You're twenty two years at that business according to LinkedIn, starting with uh, nineteen eighty. Dude, you look great for your age then. I don't know how the hell you were able to do this for that long and I still started, look like
1: this. So I started right out of high school. So I I was one quarter into college and dropped out of college to start that company.
0: Because what did you see? It doesn't seem like there'd be a lot of money in this.
1: Um, because I was I was a I was a graphic design major in okay. college. Um, the technology I had used in high school to publish our high school newspaper was the technology all graphic designers were starting to use and it was only 16 months old. There was nobody that knew it better than me. And, um, and apparently I was good, I was smart, and I was good at building trust with people and I followed through on what I said I was gonna do. I had a couple clients take me under their wing and I just worked it and worked it and worked it and grew until, until I, I had earned.
0: Finally made money. Yeah, exactly. How much did you earn at its height
1: so i desperately wanted to be in the uh the young entrepreneurs club which is a million for people i think under 40. i think they kept raising the number i capped out at my it company at eight hundred seventy thousand um, dollars in my final wow. year um then i sold it to wow. the employees it's still functioning today pretty much every business i've touched is still functioning today which is kind of amazing to me um my first year in Creative Live, so I sold it to the employees because we basically spun out that training company. Chase came in as a partner. We it blew up, and um, we broke the million dollar mark on the first year in Creative Live. I think I turned forty that year, so I would have been able to get to the Young Entrepreneurs Club if I had planned it properly.
0: You eventually got in it. But wow, first first year of Creative Live, you get to a million dollars, and it's all because of this model that we just figured out, right? Which is, let's give it away for free. People want the recording; great, they could buy the recording of it. How did you hook up with Chase?
1: So Chase was a client of mine for I think about a decade, maybe more than a decade. Because remember, I was in Seattle. Chase is in Seattle. I support pretty much every significant designer or creative in the Seattle area, um, and Chase. Chase had one of the most technically advanced photography studios out there. Apple was a client. He had a ton of Apple gear and we, you know, my team was the IT team that supported in the back end.
0: Okay. And then you did this online education. He and you maybe helped promote it together. At what point did you say this is our business model. We're going to go forward with this?
1: So there was never a time that we were Creative Live, that it was not Chase and me. So the rebrand and Chase coming in and us partnering to build this out, that happened in 2010. Um, and 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 basically from 2010, it we were just sprinting. Um, Chase lined up three of the biggest names in photography education that he knew. He basically recruited the first three instructors in photography, um, and that took our you know. Our our demo class where we were doing thirty to forty thousand dollars over a ten week period, um, we were doing sixty to one hundred and fifty million or not million sixty to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars over a three day weekend, and we really built Creative Live in the initial days around photography and around that concept of a three day workshop because that's the way a lot of photography was taught, and so we would teach these live streaming classes that were eight hours a day for three days, um, and at the time, there was not a lot of live streaming. I mean, we, the live streaming market didn't exist the way it exists today. Um, in fact, we weren't even sure that we could get a big enough picture to be able to teach what we were teaching. The, some of the innovations that, that we were playing with is lowering the, um, lowering the frame rate in order to be able to get a larger image area and just trying to figure out how far we could push the, the the small little pipe that we had available for
0: live streaming because you had to make it look really crisp so that people can see the details you're talking about but at the same time people's connections weren't very good i remember talking to the founder of twitch Emmett Sure. he had a similar issue people if they made the quality really mm-hmm. good people couldn't see it clearly enough it became a real problem uh people couldn't see the game let's go back then to where you were so the the next thing i want to know is you could have said we're going to teach it ourselves. We don't need to bring in these professional. Fo- Why'd you roll your eyes when I said that? That's not. A, that's a model that you discard quickly. Oh oh. Why? What was it about that model that you didn't like? And how did you find the model of bringing them in and sharing revenue?
1: So, and I think this may come a little bit from the fact that I was building it, and I don't. And I was not building it for me. I didn't roll my eyes as that's a silly idea. But what I, what I rolled my eyes at, or that response was because. As soon as somebody is creating a platform for themselves to teach on, I see that as them creating the ceiling for which that that uh, that platform will go to. Um, it is very very rare that somebody will build a platform for them to teach on that they will allow someone else to outshine them. And at Creative Live, Chase Chase was not teaching, and I was not teaching. I was creating a stage to make the person on that stage as big as possible, and we could allow people to come in and shine as bright as possible without having any sense that they were taking a place that I wanted to be at. And so we were able to really create this opportunity for as many people, and and it became a place that, just talking to speakers, like it became a a phrase, have you done your creative live yet? There There was this sense of accomplishment of having gotten onto that stage. And in part, it was because there wasn't a secondary person you're trying to get into. We weren't like the Oprah show, where like there was there was Oprah that was basically like the, the the placeholder. We had the person on the stage; they introduced themselves generally, and like they held that stage for themselves, and we made it as warm and welcoming as big for them as we possibly could.
0: Because from the beginning, you said we are. It's not about teaching and making all the money for ourselves. It's about creating a plat to share revenue with them. Naturally, we should not go in and and take center stage and so on.
1: Exactly. And um, I mean, to be honest, we tried to, you know, we tried to work as the best deal we could for revenue for ourselves, but that really came down to creating something where they were also pushing as hard as they could. Um, When creative live started, we had no audience. We we had, we had the 30, 30, 30,000 people on my list. We had, we had Chase's audience. Um, but we didn't, we weren't, had a big audience. We brought on big name after big name. They poured their audience into us as aggressively as they could because they were creating something that they shared equity ownership in um, that they were creating. They were, they were going to like benefit and profit from that, from that weekend event based on how big it was. And it wasn't until about a year later that Creative Life started having its own audience because we had had really significant name after significant name come in and pour their audience into us
0: first. So the way it would work is you'd have an author or someone who was known creatively come and teach. They would Mm -hmm. come to your studio from the beginning. It was in your studio and record in person, right? They would come in they would promote it to their audience and say, Hey, I'm going to be on creative live. It's this beautiful platform. And I remember them being, elevated by it and and owning that sense of elevation like look at me i'm going to be at this beautiful place they would tell their audience to come watch live their audience would have to register to see them live and as a result your mailing list grew and then you'd say hey this is live you'd email that out to the list people would come live and then you would do the follow up sales. They wouldn't even have to sell. All they were doing was saying, I'm offering this for free, right? If they wanted to, they could sell, but I don't think they even had exactly. to. And many didn't even do the sales part. They would just say it's free and let you be the people to sell.
1: Exactly. And even beyond that, or uh, in the early days, up until the first couple of years, we would do about six weeks of reach out to their audience ahead of time for the people that were actually be in the room with them. We would actually have people submit videos to audition, to be the audience in the room. And in order to submit those videos, they had to do it publicly on Twitter. So we actually created this buzz with a competition for just to select the audience to be there in person. I
0: had no idea. No wonder these people were talking to me about how they were in the audience. I thought it was just like, Mm -hmm. Hey, I bought tickets to this show. No, it was them saying I won. Wow. And I totally missed that part of it. Um, All right that's pretty freaking impressive what was your share uh situation what was the split between you and the uh the instructors
1: so in general um in general we started out kind of philosophically with a 50 50 split and then would would carve out some space for production costs and other things and so over time, I, over time, the first year of instructors got a better deal probably than, than later instructors because they were more instrumental in making Creative Live into what it was, and, and then Creative Live eventually had its own audience that was able to negotiate a better deal. But it was a, it, it the, in the early years, it was a substantial portion um, because we were doing a lot. We were investing thirty to forty thousand dollars on each on each on each event, and we were trying to make it a blockbuster in the process. Thirty to forty thousand dollars in production
0: in what production.
1: where did that money go uh, uh, well in the early days since we didn't have everything built out there, there were a lot of things that we replaced with capital with capital cap, capital capital investments later so the studio became a lot better um things got less expensive as we built out and invested more in the studio See. so we were doing a lot of off-site uh leasing of spaces one of the things so if you're not all that aware of the early days mm-hmm. The one thing that really put us on the map of the photography space, we hosted an online wedding course in 2011, 2010, okay. 2010, where we had brides and grooms submit videos to be the couple that are married on screen. Okay, And then we produced and paid for a full wedding for those people so that our wedding photographer could teach a five-day course leading up to the live wedding where she shot it live.
0: You know what? That's the thing that I admired most about your company, Creative Live. It was that over the top at a time when people were very impressed if they could expecting very little, right? That they would even chat to the instructor and the instructor would respond back. Take that to like the Hollywood levels with your production. There were moving cameras. There was a design sense. There was this sense that when... I think Chase did he have his own interview show that was part of Creative Live or was that still off on his own? It was part of Creative. It was live? something
1: he started separately. So he st- he had his own live persona and live um, program that he then did bring into Creative. I remember, live I'd interviewed
0: Jason Fried and done some really good interviews with him, and he posted them on his site. But it was a different experience when the founder of Basecamp, Jason, tweeted out and talked about his Creative Live experience. It was. I want you to see where I was. I am worthy of being on this stage is the way most people handled it. You're smiling because you, you recognize that. Yeah. That was intentional.
1: Yeah. It was intentional and it was aspirational. So, and, and I would say the aspirations were on slightly different areas. Um, for me, I wanted because we also worked with the instructors leading it so we would we would do a lot of producing and prepping and work with them because they're going to be live for 3 days and we try to give we cannot carry the ball for them but we tried to give them as much support as we possibly could and especially in the world of photography we are bringing in you know we're resourcing models and locations and setting everything up so there's there's an entire production happening separate from the production we're filming because we are going to film the production that we're putting in front of the camera um and also it is for for instructors, I wanted to be their high point in their professional career. We did not always hit that. And as we got bigger names, it became harder. But my personal goal was for everybody to experience their high point career moment at Creative Live at the point that they were giving And their I could creative I saw Live that job. for authors.
0: I remember because you were in San Francisco, when an author would be on or a creative teacher would be on your platform, they would be in San Francisco. They knew I was there. And so they would come out for dinner or scotch at my office and it was a point of pride and a little bit of nervousness. Did they create their own courses or did you do production for them?
1: They they had to have the expertise and generally we were not putting people on the stage that were not mm-hmm. already teaching elsewhere. So we we basically looked for people that were really good at teaching in groups or had done some, we weren't, we weren't really looking for people who taught online. We were looking for people that are really good at teaching in larger groups. And if they're good at teaching in larger groups and they were doing
0: they had a really hungry audience, we could be a multiplier of that, a significant multiplier of that. All right. You were asking me about my sponsor, Blue. Do you know about them or do you want me, what do you know about them?
1: Well, so actually, first of all, I was really curious about the name. So, because Send in Blue makes me think of like the iPhone and the blue is always like the better way mm. of connecting with people. And I believe they have SMS. They and I am running a small group entrepreneurs group in Seattle. And I realize I need a better way of being able to communicate with these people. And I don't know anything about Send in Blue, but they were on my list. I was told I should look oh, at. Oh, so that's I'm interesting. Learn from
0: you. I think that for a lot of people, mm-hmm. they don't come up because. We have a handful of email marketing companies that we know, and then that's what we focus on, and those companies are just spending a ton on advertising. I hear one on NPR a lot. Here's what Send in Blue does. They're a European company, which is partially why we don't know them, but also because they're based in Paris, they care a lot about design and feel, and they're in a little bit different headspace than most of us when we're thinking about online marketing. We think about, well, they do segmentation, and yes, they do. They think about that, but they say, can we make it look right and not? It doesn't really cost that much to send out this big jumble of tech. And so that's where they come from. They're also big on saying, look, email, it costs fractions of pennies, but once a company gets their claws in you, they just keep ratcheting up the price because they know it's hard to move out. Sendinblue says, we're going to start out low and then we'll keep our prices low so that our customers are happy with the way that we're, we're operating. And then finally... They do more than just email marketing and the segmentation, all that. Like you surmised from the name, they do text messaging. They also create the landing pages, the opt-in forms, the whole thing all in one in a program that just works and works beautifully. Many people who haven't heard about them say, well, what's their staying power? Can I actually trust them? They're a huge company. Their latest raise, actually it's been two years now, was $160 million in Series B. They're well-funded. They are huge Mostly in Europe, but also in the US. And if you're considering them, I highly recommend signing up using my URL because, frankly, I get credit for it. And I want them to know that this is uh, working for them. But also, they'll give you a discount if you start by going over to slash mixer G. slash mixer G. And as always, I'm going to tell everyone else who's listening. People, if this isn't working for you, let me know. If it is, let me know. So far, people have been signing up and telling me they're happy, and so I keep running ads for them, but if it doesn't ever work out, I want to be the first person to know. My email address is at Mixergy.com. I'm not just reading ads here. I'm talking about companies that I think you should sign up for, and I want you to be happy with them. Thanks, Blue. By the way, look at this space. I feel like I finally am now starting to dress up my, my, my workspace. Are you someone who's like pretty obsessive about this stuff or is it just, no, I just care about the business side of things. Let the designer handle it.
1: So I tend to have a very pared down aesthetic desire. I tend to want to execute only what we can execute really well. And so basically I will often be basically stripping away things that feel like we are trying to aspirationally hit something we haven't earned yet. So. me mean example. Well. I mean, it, it, in website design or or logos or pretty much anything, um, I often work with creatives that get really big ideas on what they want to do, and they'll end up like filling in with um, with basically things that we haven't earned yet. with With a lot, and we were talking about this a little bit earlier about you saying I'm not, I don't, I'm not using the best job description for myself. I do tend to understate everything that I do because I want to make sure everything that I do is accurate and like lives up to the promise. And so I think that that invades my sense of aesthetic and everything else. I I tend to not try to make a fuss about something aesthetically unless I really know what I want. I tend to never want to be performing. I tend to want to strip away any instinct in me that is performing for an outside world or trying to meet goals that other people are setting instead of me. And so um, like my aspiration in life is to Pursue the things that are most meaningful for me, even if everybody else on the planet can't see it and is not interested in it. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm getting no one else's reward, and I'm the only person that I'm serving.
0: Like what? Yeah. Take me to Creative Live. I want to get to what you're doing today, but take me to Creative Live and then help me understand how that played itself out. What did you want that maybe nobody else wanted?
1: Well, I would say with Creative Live, so with the, the direction of Creative life. so Creative Live for me was always about the audience. Um, so the audience was always what we were creating for and as we started to raise money and so here, here's a really great, very easy tactical example. Once we started down the VC path, there was a heavy emphasis on positioning the company for the next raise. And the energy needed to position the company for the next raise is not always in alignment with the energy for serving the audience we have or for figuring out how to grow something and earning. It. So we are trying to convince a very small group of people that uh, they should put a lot of money into us as opposed to a very large number of people that want to buy a small thing from us to change their life. And I would say just as a really fundamental level, my instinct is to go to the large audience and make a small impact on a lot of people, as opposed to try to convince a small group of people of my value.
0: I get that. I do too. I like having a large audience. There's something very satisfying about that. There's something very um, safe about not having all your eggs with one basket. Okay. And still, you raised, what, seven and a half million from Greylock, right? You then didn't you raise from chamath palihapitiya's fund you raised how many yep, millions of yep. dollars
1: uh, i think i think i think i think they led with with 25 million dollar raise in the in the
0: second social year. Ca- so you had a ton here's my understanding that now puts a lot of pressure on you but also a lot of opportunity yeah. as soon as that happened it gave you a lot of credibility mm-hmm. i started seeing more ads on facebook for creative live courses and then at some point it almost mm-hmm. all ground to a halt. My understanding was you weren't able to raise the next round, which then put pressure on all expenses. So I don't
1: really, I don't really want to go into detail about like the behind the scenes on raise. Um, but if you read, but if you read the news articles, there was a large layoff at Creative Life. And what I can say is there were a lot of choices leading up to that, where if we had been focused on creating a stable profitable business we might have made different choices than if we were trying to look good for future investors
0: all right i i think i've got a pretty decent analysis of what what happened there and by that you mean you spent a lot of money to get a lot of customers so you can prove that there are a lot of people who, who care enough about your product to pay got it all right then you left the company company was sold afterwards to Fiverr. You still had equity in the business.
1: Mm-hmm. So, so I left the company in 2015 okay. and have been working with, with, uh, um, with influencers and celebrities since then Fiverr acquired uh, creative live, uh, was it, I, it was either, it was either this year, 2022, or it was late last year, two thousand twenty one. last year, October
0: 7th is the TechCrunch article on the sale. Mm-hmm. And so did you have equity at the time?
1: I, I did. So I, I was a common shareholder. I, I, had, I had a significant amount of common shareholders as as did uh, any of the employees that had their stock options that they that that they paid for or or had converted previously.
0: My sense was that was not a big windfall for you.
1: Uh, to my knowledge, and, and I would know, no equ no nothing went to the common shareholders after the purchase.
0: Isn't that freaking frustrating?
1: I had made my peace with the long term. Honestly, the the frustration for me, the, the the area I think is most painful is for the employees that invested in those stock options because I I don't know how well you know stock options Presumably, you know, like deeply, but when you leave a company, you a often bit. have yeah. to make a cash payment to that company right. to hold on to your stock options. Quickly too. Yeah. Okay. And and I and there are a lot and there were people that believed in the company that 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 paid that money and just just based on the circumstances of how everything went down, you know, it was it was not a bet that paid off. Now, they sh- everyone should know that like you know, I, I treat any stock or equity option as as a bet that is not likely to pay off, but you but but can pay off. So, um, so managing risk I think is really important when you're playing these games.
0: I have the opposite approach I treat it all as a potential big payoff and then I get frustrated when it's not mm.
1: that is not how I'm wired and, and, and part of that is the, is yeah, the down different. point I try to only I only I only count what exists and, and part of that was for me in Seattle probably different areas but in Seattle I was in business in the crossover from you know 1999 to 2000s, I, w- I had tons of creative companies and startups that were clients of mine during the, the first dot-com bust, and I had a lot of friends uh, that acted as if they had the net worth that a stock certificate said they had, and when their mm-hmm. companies went bust or just were downgraded, that evaporated, and they were left with a lot of debts that they th- where they thought they had a lot of assets. I'm very conservative on yeah, basically keeping my family safe. And that's probably the biggest difference is um I my goal is to make sure that my family is taken care of over the over the length of their lives. And so until I hit that mark, I don't see anything as free money for me.
0: And do you keep your money what in cash? Do you keep it in S P?
1: Um I tend to so I keep I keep most of it so most of my cash is in stock. So so in, in, in mutual funds. So like I have I have a you know, a firm that manages that. Um, but I tend to keep this this actually there there's there's a I this actually is a really good example for me. So when I left Creative Live, I started my own little kind of mini venture firm, which is where where I was basically investing in companies and becoming business partners and putting my my effort into helping grow them. So so I was not investing a lot of money, but I was investing a lot of time. And when I left Creative Live, I set aside not much, $250,000 for basically a series of bets on my next thing. And rather viewing that as one $250,000 bet on my next thing, I viewed it as five $50,000 bets on my next five things. And I put a lot of effort into trying to create systems where I validate opportunities as opposed to letting my emotions and belief like run away with me because I do believe, I'm a believer. I don't I don't put my energy into something I don't love and believe in. But I don't believe that just because I love it and believe in it that it's true. So I really look for creating proof in the market that my emotions are based on
0: something. My sense was you left Creative Live because you and Chase had creative differences.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, we, I, and also the direction that Creative Live was going was working. I'm not just because we had different visions didn't necessarily mean mine was right. And when Chase became CEO. I, I started my 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 segue out because okay. yeah like Creative Life was gonna go where it was gonna go where it was gonna go. All
0: right, take me through the way that you were thinking about businesses. What kind of businesses did you want to make those smaller investments into? So for me, I was
1: really fascinated. So first of all, everything I've
0: done has largely been the same
1: business model, repeated over and over again. Since since 2010, I have worked with content creators and educators, and in some fashion we've used a mix of teaching, creating digital goods and a mix of free and paid to create as much value in the world as we can. Um, one of the things I was really fascinated with Crave live was the edges. How big could one brand become in creative life? Like, like, could we take one instructor and if we weren't just focusing on that instructor as one of many, how big a platform could we build around one person? Um, and that was really one of the things that I wanted to experiment with It's basically how big could we go if we were just focused on one content creator and just really gave them as much room as possible. And, um, in 2000 and in 2016, I became partners along with, with two ex creative live employees with Sue Bryce. And that was my probably my first big play outside of creative Live. Um, so that was an online photography platform that Sue had started about about a year earlier, um, and we came in as basically the operational side to just really supercharge it.
0: She already had her brand name. She already had her content online, and she was selling online education it, portraits. The portrait system is yep. what I see on your LinkedIn profile. She called it. So
1: she was actually one of the top instructors at Creative Life. So she was one of the top instructors at Creative Life from 2012 to about 2014. Um, she ended up in 2015 creating her own platform separate from Creative Live which was which was some something we started to see at Creative Live is basically other inst- other other influencers instructors were starting to create their own platforms and, th- and realizing that they might be able to like get to market a different way um, and so she made a break with Creative Live and then when I left Creative Live she and I were talking and she basically invited me and George and Aaron in to be her partners at Superice Education and we basically poured ourselves into that company from 2016 and it was just sold uh, last year. Uh, it was just acquired by, um, by a trade show company. For how much? Let's see, what, what, what is, so eight, eight? so, so super low eight okay. figures.
0: And then what was your share of that?
1: My share of that generally, um, in that case, uh, we had three partners on my side. So in, in my case, I was about a 20% stakeholder in that so she she was 50 percent. generally we do we roughly do 50 okay. 50 deals with creators um and then uh and then my partners we basically split the uh the the other half
0: okay and so you partner up with her knowing that she can deliver the goods what do you add talk walk me through what you mm-hmm. did for her because it feels like that's the model of what you do with creatives that you work with now
1: I mean, the first thing is we did a lot of work. She had basically built out a real, a scaffolding of a website, but it was having problems. She was having problems with like the daily production. She wasn't doing anything live and we came in and started basically building out a weekly live delivery system for her. She, she would do a weekly Sue Bryce live. Um, she, she didn't really enjoy selling herself. So the audience that she had sold to up to that point really knew her, but she was doing basically nothing to market or to sell. And so we came in and basically started building sales systems, started building a team, uh, got a studio, and pretty much allowed her to focus on being an extraordinary creative in front of the studio, in front of the camera, and did did the financial, did the business management, did the marketing, did the Facebook advertising, mm. did the... Um, The video production, the website development, all that in the back end to basically make the systems run.
0: That whole like funnel of taking content that's free, adding layers onto it via Mm -hmm. email and then offering a paid product. That Mm -hmm. was all you. And then you say to her, can you get on camera, record this, here's what we need for this landing page. And she does all that. Yes, yes.
1: It's a, it's a conversation. Okay. Basically, she is the visionary. She's the visionary of the company. She is basically setting a big picture of what she wants to her mission from a education and community standpoint, and she doesn't necessarily have the skills to manage hire or want to run a team. And it's also really hard to look at growth when growth may impact you negatively in terms of like some of the emotional stuff. So basically, we were a little bit less on the line emotionally and were able to make a lot of choices to grow the business that would be a little bit less comfortable for someone that is also choosing their own stage at the same time. So I partner with people that have that have really built up a name for themselves, that, that have a large following, but they also have a very emotional relationship with their audience, with themselves. There's a lot in play. So I work with creatives that I work with creatives that got where they are because of how good they are creatively, but not necessarily because of their ability to put a team together, to be able to build all the technology, be able to do all the business pieces, to be able to, to, be able to view their creative relationship with their audience with a little bit of dispassion. Um, one of the most fundamental things that, um, that comes up in the relationships I have, because most of what I do tactically a creative could hire and should hire a producer for or a, a growth right. marketer right. if they could. If, if they can replace me with someone they can pay a salary, they should. You
0: know what, Dean? it's a different mm-hmm. thing to think about. And maybe they could even do it themselves, but it's a real change from... Now, how do I create a funnel that upsells them and another product and what software do I use? Am I right? Honestly,
1: the tactical stuff for me is just kind of table stakes. I think really what comes down to is more this whole whole statement I had earlier about me not believing my own truth just because I believe it and I'm looking to validate that. It's really hard for someone who is out there putting their name on everything to not believe it 100%, but to run the business I think it's really important to listen to the audience and it's really important to validate whether we're headed in the right direction separate from belief.
0: Give me an example. Like, Tell me how, how that played itself out with her.
1: So for Sue and, and for most, most of the people that I work with, they have an experience of a live broadcast or of a conference or of their interaction based on how they feel as the presenter, how they felt on stage, what their emotions were while they are delivering it. And so they assume that the way they feel is the way the entire world feels. And often that is completely the opposite. Like they will come off of something feeling really good about it and we're missing some, we're missing something in the audience. Like the audience wasn't getting something or they desperately want to create something in their life. They, they, they don't want to be known as the expert in X. They want to, um, they, they really want to follow their passion in a different direction. But it's not the relationship they've built with the audience. And so I'm not saying that we tell that I that I tell them what to do, but they need someone at an equity partner level to be able to negotiate with them where the business is going to go. Because if we're an employee, they can just tell us to go away. And then eventually the employees just start doing what they're told and the business slowly starts to morph into trying to serve the needs of the creative instead of
0: serving the needs of the audience. All right. I'm going to talk about my second sponsor. I'd love for you to think about while I'm doing this, what's a specific example of something that she would have wanted to do that you, because you're an equity partner, were able to get her to say, no, let's switch back. And Lemon, for people who are listening, if you're looking to hire developers, they have phenomenal developers that they will match you with. It's not like a job board. They are matching you with somebody and making sure that that fit is right, and they make sure that the price is right, too. And one of the ways they do it is because they vet their engineers from, frankly, Eastern Europe and countries where the price of an engineer is lower than it would be in the U.S., lower certainly than it would be in San Francisco. Even now that I'm here in Austin, I see prices are just rising for everything. And they let you work with them remotely, direct relationship that they set up, that they make sure works well. And I know how much they care because I introduced someone from my audience to them and the founder jumped right in to make sure that that person had the right match. At the founder level, Lemon cares about making sure you get the right developers, at a great price, which frankly right now is Is critical. If you're looking to sign up with them, you can even get a lower price than everyone else by going to lemon.io slash Mixergy. Lemon.io slash Mixergy. Look at this. I'm on their site. I could actually chat with Kate right now and see what I can get. See if there's somebody there available for me. All right. Love the lemon. Were you able to think about, about a specific example? Yeah, there's a couple. So
1: I would say the big picture example is a really practical one. So almost everyone I partner with loves to create. And so, so at Sue we've talked about this pretty publicly. We ended up allowing our desire to create, to drive our production schedule. So we, we went from, um, we were up to, I mean, I think we were making $6 million a year, uh, in, in top line and our production budgets just started to balloon. We started to create based on our love of creating as opposed to our audience's need to consume or what our audience was interested in. And um, and for Sue, there was a lot of freedom. She was, she was able to do things she'd never been able to do. And so we poured a lot of money into creating a lot of stuff that was really for us and not for the audience.
0: Mm, I know um, that feeling, yeah.
1: And, and ultimately we ended up renegotiating all of our relationships with the business um, because I, I, this is not just soup. I was part of this, George was part of this, Aaron was part of this. We, were all, we all had the luxury of being able to pursue our particular interests because we had such a profitable business we were able to pull from. And we ended up looking at what the business needed and we ended up redefining our relationships and saying basically no partner needed to work in the business more than 10 hours a week. And if we were working more than 10 hours a week, we were probably serving our personal needs and not the business's needs. Because the business was super simple and it didn't need that much. It was it did not need the volume of, of innovation that we could pour into it. And in fact, all that innovation was causing all these frequent turns that was burning out staff, burning up money, and not creating value.
0: Like what, give me an example of an innovation. What did you add that was too much but we in the audience might actually
1: Rather than innovating around different things we could teach the audience, there are all these sub-business models that started coming up. So we started printing posing cards and and shipping these printed posing cards, which are beautiful. We started developing a book that we never actually shipped. We, um, I think we got a little bit into apparel. We basically started pursuing all these sub-business opportunities and logically, It felt like we were doing something that was business-related. But I think what we were really doing on all of our parts was we were pursuing our personal desires for entrepreneurship and creation without necessarily determining what the business needed first. And, um, And so it's one of the ways that I run my life right now is I have a portfolio of companies as opposed to one company. And... The companies determine what they need from me and from the creatives in those companies, as opposed to me trying to pour up 100% of my interest into one company.
0: How many do you have, Craig? I can't get a sense of it.
1: Um, I generally have three going at one time. So, so Sue Bryce Education was just acquired. Um, I currently have that was that was my that was my three. So I I have as of last year it was Sue Bryce Education. Um, I have. A online fitness company, and I'm coming in as a partner in an online cooking school.
0: This is homemade is the is the cooking, and Kaisa Fit is the Kaisa, excuse me. And these are both based on individual personalities. Homemade based on Joel uh, Gamoran, and Kaisa Fit mm-hmm. is based on Kaisa Karenin.
1: Exactly. Good. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. And, and um, same model. They bring in the audience through online content. Are they using? Uh, are they using more YouTube?
1: So in, let's let's look at case uh, a case in, in that case. Um, mm-hmm. So Kaisa had an audience of about eight hundred thousand followers on Instagram when she and I met, okay. and she, you know, as a personal influencer, she she was one of the people that you know brands were paying her ten thousand dollars a day for posts, and she had had some exposure and experience with creating online digital goods. Um, but really had not dialed into that. And in fact, um, had kind of like, had had a couple successes, but started to steer away from it. Um, we talked a lot. We talked a lot about values, direction, mission, because I'm very mission oriented and I, I want to support people that are mission oriented because basically whoever I partner with, their mission is going to be part of what I'm going to be responsible for building. Um, and when I came in as a partner with her, we started building out in 2019 around a series of education programs that she had already created, and we and we built some new ones. Um, and she had a really strong belief of what was going to sell. And we created a series of tests. Um, and the thing that she did not think was going to sell was the thing that was that sold. Like there was this throwaway little mobility program that um, we sold for nineteen dollars. That she said in an interview later, she didn't even do her hair for the promo. That's how little she she believed in it at the time. Um, but
0: this is the, um, it's it's kind of like the old Jack Lane or what's her name, um, uh, Jane Fonda type would sell. No, it's not that. It's, it's the type of
1: workout. So she w- she is a badass athlete. She does like amazing stuff. And I
0: see her strength training on her Instagram. She's like punching somebody in the stomach, yep. a lot of weight. Yep. Right. And this is simpler. Let's just get you moving.
1: Exactly. The, we, we did it. a series of tests with three products that basically were different levels, and we all bet highly on her expensive, like, higher-end training. And the class that took off was this $19 mobility program that basically helped people feel better in their body and basically deal with mobility and movement issues in their legs. And we ended up selling, we ended up breaking a million dollars in sales of that $19 product in less than a year. Wow. And wow. And you, you were talking about audience. So for me, I start with, 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 with my partner's existing audience as the seed. So like those 800,000 followers for her on Instagram, that was not who we were going to make our money from. That is who we were going to learn, who we could serve from. And then basically we built systems to try to reach out to exponentially more using
0: her existing audience as the starting point and the learning point. Got it. You figure out from her audience what works and then mm-hmm. you say, okay, now there's an audience that likes this, let's go see if we can find others outside of her audience. Mm-hmm. She had to give you a piece of her business, half of her business, she already mm-hmm. had Instagram, already was producing revenue, she had to give you half of that in exchange for the belief that you would do more.
1: Yes, although, although I built a lot of safety into that. So first of all, we end up creating an incubator company in the interim where we put in just enough for the education. So I'm not part of her Instagram company. She is still an Instagram influencer. She is still doing all the brand stuff. So what we own together all on our own. Is the is the digital education platform that we built together, which didn't exist before we came together. Okay. And so we own that thing together. And then that thing together we are trying to make as big as possible. And in the first year she could have also removed me at any point. So I create a lot of safety for partners in that um Honestly, if something works, they're never going to get rid of me. if something doesn't work, I'm not bringing any value anyway.
0: So why not create a platform like you did with creative live? Like now you're going back to the thing that you said had a limit, which is how do we create an individual person an individual, a brand and a product based on an individual person? Why not create the new, the new creative live? like a fitness creative live aimed at bringing in all the fitness stars and having them have their beautiful experience that they want to Instagram all day and then give them an ongoing share of the revenue. And then unlike the previous creative live, maybe added it as a subscription, so that which I think is a new version of creative live where it's a subscription. Why not go to that direction? I feel like maybe you have considered it.
1: Well, I have considered it. and So the answer for me personally to some degree is, I no longer see one company as the only thing I'm going to do, and so I get to have a number of at-bats and a number of different companies at the same time. So, so I am not making one company my entire bet in what I'm doing. And the other, the other thing is, for both Sue Bryce, for Kaisafit, and then I think with, with, uh, with Homemade Cooking, over time, the first year or two is very often just around that particular person and that particular brand. But in each case for Sue Bryce and for Kaiser Fit, we've started to expand out. So by the, by the time we sold Sue Bryce, Sue Bryce's company, Sue Bryce was not going with it. We were basically, we had created a platform for other instructors. We had created an entire separate brand called the Portrait Masters in which other instructors taught. And so we had expanded out and basically used her platform to start giving room for other people to be on the platform.
0: And likewise with Kaiser Fit. And then do you share revenue with them? Mm-hmm. And, we do, and we do revenue share, very similar. You do? Based on how many people watch or minutes watched, mm-hmm. got it. And then I saw that you did that on Memberful, which is a membership platform that's now owned by uh, what's it called uh, the uh, 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 Patreon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you can actually measure individual views and be able to distribute revenue using the memberf- the Memberful platform. So you we
1: don't. Uh, so first of all. We only use Memberful to control access to memberships for Subrice. So we actually mm-hmm. track everything separately. So all of our sites, our, our, our viewership and tracking is all separate. The other thing for Subrice, Subrice Education is a membership platform. And on Subrice Education, she was the primary teacher. We had a separate company called the Portrait Masters, which was effectively a photography education platform for everybody but Subrice. And so those two end up getting built okay. in parallel to each other.
0: I'm so glad that you and I got to do this interview. Let me close it out with this, actually. I, I keep meaning to close it out because we're now going way longer than we planned. Give me feedback. Craig, you're the guy who knows this business. What do you think I should be doing differently with Mixergy?
1: Well, actually, you know what? I don't know. I would love to stand for another hour and actually like dig into that because when you talk about your masterclass, I would love to dig into how much you're making, how you're making it, where you're making it. Um, okay. But without without asking some really... Invasive questions. I don't know that I've got a really quick short snappy answer I think you're killing it from the outside, but I don't know
0: I got Burned out last year and stalled and I didn't realize Mm -hmm. it and then this year I finally took time away from almost everything except these interviews, which I can't get Mm -hmm. rid of and I'm trying to think of what happens next and so I wasn't planning on having a conversation with you that would kind of spark things but we're kind of sparkling yeah. things in my head which I'm enjoying
1: when so right now is there something you can sell that you're not part of
0: oh that I don't do at all yes I've done that um where we brought in a producer to create to create content well,
1: I mean literally like is there an equity so is there a comp like can you sell your company and oh or or I, or yes yeah and it could go and create value and yes. they'd have the archives of you but you could step away if you wanted to I think so okay
0: I don't know that emotionally I could, okay. that would be the challenge. Okay. I am so emotionally connected in like preserving this collection of, of work. Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, I, I don't think we do it live, but if you would like to, I would love to dig in and like, like really like All right.
0: give you an opinion. All right. I'll follow up. I wish that we would have been able to do it yeah. here, but we are at the end. I got like another guest coming in. All right. I'd love to do it. And then maybe we can do this, but I, I'd be happy to answer anything that you want.
1: I would love that. We could always record it and decide whether
0: you release it later. Okay. All right. I'm down. The best place for people to follow up with you is to just go to craigswanson.com, right? Uh, craigswanson.org. craigswanson.com. I keep offering him money. He won't sell it to me. (laughs) You know what? My my, uh, browser auto-fills it in, so I didn't even notice it. I guess it doesn't matter as much. craigswanson.org. Thank you, and thank you all for listening. Bye, everyone.